You are listening to the Golden Voice Podcast, and I'm your host, Jarvis Smith. I want to say thank you for listening to our last episode with Junior Mesa. And if you're new to the Golden Voice Podcast, please be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and check out our past interviews with such guests as Julian B., Elliot Wilson, Steve Rifkin, and many more. All right, I'm going to catch up with you in the outro because I want to jump into this week's episode and special guest. Because today, we're speaking to a guest who is a Bay Area native who broke into the LA music scene behind the scenes booking club appearances for such artists as Post Malone, YG, Sweetie, Ari Lennox, and the late Nipsey Hussle during his come up. However, he would evolve from all that and become a talent buyer at Golden Voice in July 2021, booking talent at venues such as the Novo and many more within GV's venue and festival umbrella. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's a music aficionado and connector, Marcus Dondada Johnson. And at the time of this recording, I caught up with Marcus to speak about his upbringing in Oakland, his deep love of music, how he got started in the music business, joining Golden Voice, and so much more. So let's go ahead and get this conversation started. Marcus, how are you doing? My boy, thank you for that introduction, man. That was that was that was a dope introduction, man. I appreciate it. Man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, just, you know, staying busy, staying, uh, focused and, you know, just trying to, trying to maintain man in this crazy world. Yes, sir. I mean, we're going to get into a lot of things today overall, but I think it's been a, a year journey that you have made it here as, as a talent buyer overall, you know, definitely longer than a year, but you've been on the job for, for what you're doing now for a year. And I'm so excited to just learn more about what you do because we hear about this thing called a talent buyer and so many people they're fascinated by the role and what it plays, but they don't even know the 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 the, the day to day grind that you go through to kind of get shows off the ground. So we're definitely going to get into that. But I always like to take it back to the beginnings, people's upcoming, people upbringing, and just their starting point. And I want to know for you, what was your childhood like growing up? What were those memories like for you? Um, I mean, for me, you know, I was I was born in uh, Oakland, from the Bay Area, Bay Area born. Um, and you know, growing up in the Bay Area, it, it it was dope, man. It was fun, man. Uh, back back in the days of you know, like growing up in the eighties and nineties in the Bay Area, man, there was a lot. There was a lot going on, man. Um, from the revolutionary standpoint, um, a political standpoint, obviously, Oakland is known for Oakland and, and Berkeley, uh, and specifically, are known for a lot of. Uh, revolutionary uh individuals uh like your Huey P Newton uh and obviously uh, you know Tupac uh being bred in the bay area raised in the bay area uh, the bay area has always been a uh cultural melting pot of sorts of uh characters and individuals so i mean you know growing up in the bay area i i grew up around uh uh, everybody, you know, I had white friends, I had black friends, I had Asian friends, and it was it was just a fun place, man. So much culture and art, music. Uh, you know, I grew up in in the days where cats were still break dancing and doing graffiti, and uh, you know, it's it was a fun, it was a fun place. Um, a, a lot to learn, a lot to take in. It's obviously a beautiful um, place to, as far as landmarks, Bay Bridge and things like that. But man, growing up in the Bay Area was fun, dude. We were, we were exposed to a lot more, I think, than, uh, a lot of people give the Bay Area credit for, uh, because, you know, obviously we were, we were not LA, so we didn't have the, the Hollywood, uh, 
things going on, but we had more, more, I think more cultural. When you think about the Bay Area, you think of a, a little bit more of a cultural uh, place to be from. So it was dope, man. Yes, sir. Man, you know, when I think about the Bay Area, I think about uh, my favorite documentary, uh, or uh, it's not a documentary, it's an autobiography of, of his life, MC Hammer. Coming up, you know, that's that's what I remember. The first thing, because he, when he was like selling his music outside of like the, the A's, uh, I think it was like the Oakland A's, if I'm saying it right, if, if I'm referring to the baseball team correctly, outside of it, outside of the stadium or something like that. Man, that's what I remember seeing. That. I was like, oh shit, that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. So man, no, that's that's awesome to hear. Man, I, re- I remember there was a place, there was a uh, venue in downtown Oakland called uh, Sweet Jimmy's. And I, I remember MC Hammer filmed his uh video for i think the song was called let's get it started mm-hmm. oh let's yeah. get it started <laughs> oh, oh. yeah and i re- i remember that being uh i was a, i was a kid at the time of course but i remember that being such a big deal that that uh mc hammer was was filming that video in this little kind of hole in the wall club uh sweet jimmy's and actually i, I went to school with uh the son his name was Jimmy Jr., but I went to to the uh, to school with the son of the guy who owned that venue, so it was a big deal just coming up. And and when MC Hammer was kind of uh, you know growing into a superstar rapper from Oakland, and, and he he was such a big deal. Um, but yeah, man, those are just some of the, some of the memories growing up in Oakland, man. Just being 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 around that environment. Yes, sir, man. That sounds so dope. And just sticking to the note of music, what were the, the the artists or albums that you were checking out growing up as a kid, too? So I grew up around a lot of music and musicians. Actually, um, my aunt Josita Williams, rest in peace. Um, she was actually she owned a, a gospel record label um, called I believe it was called uh, New World Music. And she had, this is when I was probably like seven, eight, eight years old. Uh, I just remember being at her house and she had this really, really big house uh, in Oakland. And she had an upstairs um, kind of an attic type of area where she had all these instruments and, you know, drums and guitars and pianos uh, because she was a, she was a writer. She wrote music and she produced music as well. Uh, so I just remember being around a lot of music coming up as a, as a child, you know, with, with her being a musician, my mom, she sang in the church, my grandmother sang in the church. Um, so, you know, growing up, I was exposed very, very early to, uh, great music from, from, you know, James Brown to the Temptations to the, you know, the Motown era, Four Tops, Stevie Wonder, uh, Gladys Knight, Al Green, then obviously, you know, growing up for me as a as a kid, Prince and Michael Jackson were like the biggest, you know, <laughs> the biggest thing to ever happen to, to to in life for me. I was a I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. Like I was that kid that, you know, I had the Jerry curl, I had <laughs> I had the, I had the Thriller jacket. I I remember buying some uh some like uh garden garden gloves from from Ace Hardware and and taking those gloves home and buying some rhinestones. And getting some glue and making my own uh, <laughs> glitter gloves, Gosh. you know. <laughs> so man, yeah, I was a I was a huge uh, Michael Jackson fan, and and me and my one of my cousins, my older cousins, we used to, you know, we used to kind of battle who who would be, you know, because we had a bunch of cousins that were uh, we were all around the same age, um, give or take a couple of years. 
but uh, we we would be the Jackson Five, and we would kind of battle who would be Michael. And uh, you know, I was I was the younger out of the uh, out of the cousins, and I was the most talented too. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> I was supposed to be Michael. So I just remember my uncle taking uh, me and my cousin out to uh, the Berkeley Marina in Berkeley, and yeah. it was like six or seven in the morning. It's super early before yeah. anybody was out there. And we filmed our own version of Billy Jean oh, with, wow. with the uh, with the old school uh, VHS cameras. <laughs> so man, yeah. So we were just dude. We were always just into music. We just you know um, you know the back house of my grandmother's house would always be get-togethers where we she they would just play music all day and you know hang out and those those were my fond memories coming up of just being around music. Music just always um, brought us together. You know, as a family. Yeah, dude, that's that sounds so dope right there, man. I would love to see those videos right there. That's <laughs> that's some gold right there for for some content for social media. Oh Throwback God. Thursday, hit them up TikTok, hit them up Instagram for real, for real. That sounds amazing right there, bro. For yeah, real. It, we gotta we gotta dig those up so <laughs> wherever they are in the vaults, right? Right. Yeah, now. we gotta we gotta we gotta find those. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. And man, you know, I, I'm loving this journey in music so much. Now I'm kind of curious to know when did you start getting inspired? Because you were talking about your family members having a label but and stuff like that but when did you get inspired yourself to want to get involved in the music industry because you have a really interesting background just with the whole entire being involved in the club scene but then i remember talking to some of your friends and stuff like that that you used to you used to have a background rapping so like when when did this interest of like okay i want to work in the music industry this is my career that i that i want to do i don't just want to be a consumer of it i want to actually be in this business uh probably in, in junior high um i was a part uh, me and a couple of friends of mine, we we uh, formed this group, and it was three of us, and we rapped and and danced. We were really into dancing uh, back then, um, whether it was break dancing or you know just whatever 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 the uh, current dances were back then. But we had formed this group in junior high, and I remember we went on. I don't know if you. <laughs> There, there was a show back in the day called the the, the Bong Show, right? <laughs> Where uh, you know, talent would come on, whether it's uh, you know magi- magicians or singers or dancers, and they would perform. And if they were good, they would they would make it through. And if they weren't, they would get bombed. So, 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 and and growing up in Oakland, there was a local there was a local version of it called the the Bong Show. It was pretty much the same thing, but it was, they did it in Oakland. So I remember we signed up, me and my boys, we signed up to go on the show, and uh, you know we had our little choreography and our songs. Uh, we and we thought we were the shit. To be honest with you, we thought we were the shit. So we so we went on the show. Uh, it was. Um, they actually filmed the show at this mall in Oakland, in East Oakland. Um, so we went on the show. I thought we were great. We had our friends and family in the building. They were cheering for us, yelling our names. Um, but then we got bonked. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we got bonked. So, you know, it, it, it was a, a definitely was a. Uh, you know, a humbling experience to say the least. We got bug, but you know, so you know, I I definitely got the, you know, kind of the bug to start doing music, you know, writing raps and performing. You know, very early, uh, I had a good friend named David Whitman in junior high. He actually was the first, um, probably that was probably the first time I actually experimented with trying to uh, with producing music and and making beats and things like that. He actually owned. Uh, two technique turntables and a Newmark mixer. And at the time I lived in Oakland and he lived in Berkeley. 
but I would catch the bus to his house and this is like 12, 13 years old. And I would catch the bus was probably maybe a 45 minute bus ride um, to just to go and mess around with his, his equipment. And that's where I started just kind of, um, you know, we, 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 back then you, what you would do is you would sample the Newmark mixer had a sampler, uh, embedded into the mixer. So we would take records and we would sample records and, uh, you know, basically make beats from the sampler. And, and that's where I kind of started. And that's where I kind of got my uh, love for, for making music and making beats. And that kind of progressed to high school. Uh, you know, going into high school, I met a new group of guys that um, were kind of on the same, you know, they had the same passions as, as I did, uh, which was music, graffiti, and just hip hop. You know, I just, I grew up, I grew up a hip hop head. I grew up listening to Run DMC. Um, even though even though I lived in in California and lived in the Bay Area, I was I probably listened to more East Coast music back then, uh, just because I think it fit, it fed my appetite for for hip hop a little bit more than uh, just just listening to uh, West Coast. Obviously, uh, the Two Shorts and, and the E Forties and the Mac Malls, listen to all that Four One Five Richie Rich, um, but at the same time I listened to Karis One. Uh, Public Enemy, Run DMC, Curtis Blow, Fat Boys, everything that came out of the East Coast. So, um, you know, I just always had a, a huge appetite for hip hop. I remember being in, uh, there was a radio station called, um, it was it was a Stanford radio station. I think it was, can't remember what the exact radio station was, but it was out of Stanford. They recorded it in Stanford and I lived in Oakland. So I, the, the uh, station it didn't come in very clear. The frequency wasn't very clear. So I remember going into my backyard every Sunday with my boom box and aluminum foil and put my aluminum foil on my antenna just so I can uh, be able to listen to that radio station because they had a Sunday hip hop show. Uh, yeah, the guy's name, the DJ was uh, Billy Jam. Shout out to Billy Jam out of the Bay Area. He's a legend. Um, but yeah, that's just like what I just loved hip hop, you know, more than anything. I just love music more than anything growing up. Yeah. And just seeing that trajectory and getting to all those different things. What was that first role maybe that I could, I, I could just remember like, were you the type of person like in CDs where you were like looking to the inserts of the credits and you start seeing all these different roles and these record labels that I didn't even know what they meant. A&R this, marketing that or whatever. And uh, this is back when like a certain record labels would have uh, the addresses to their actual, like maybe their mailing address um or whatever the p.o box and i can remember like either like uh submitting unsolicited uh demos because i used to have my background rapping too that's a that's a story for another time uh, uh, unsolicited uh, unsolicited demos to these labels and uh, of course they would always get rejected but like that was kind of my first uh understanding that there was like people behind these record labels and i remember watching some documentary where they're like lo cool j used to do the same thing where he used to submit his demos to def jam or to all these labels in new york but then he submitted over to def jam and that's how like i believe it was someone from the beastie boys i, I want to say it was aid rock or somebody from the beastie boys came across uh, uh run dmc's uh, i mean excuse me um lo cool j's uh, demo and that's kind of started that process i was like oh i'll do the same thing but that's when i started to realize there's these different roles in the music business and uh so for you i'm kind of curious what was that first role for you that you that that kind of maybe caught your interest in the music uh, on the business side of the music industry world. That kind of started your trajectory into to where you're where you're at now. Well, well it's interesting that you that you mentioned, um, you know, buying CDs and albums and 
uh, you know, going to the back of the, those albums and, and looking up like production credits and looking up that for me, that was a huge part of the um, record buying process and probably just as interesting to me as the actual music was to, you know, purchase those albums and CDs and, and go home, rip off the plastic, sit down. And as you listen to the music, you know, scrolling through the liner notes and seeing, you know, what, who produced what record. I was heavily into samples, so I was always interested to see, uh, you know, what, what samples were used for what record. And I think that's what really interested, got me interested in, in, in you know, the producer side of music was like just knowing that these guys were, uh, you know, they were like me, you know, they were interested in, in, in music and, and uh, different types of music, you know, and to, to go through like a Tribe Called Quest line ear notes and see all these different types of music in De La Souls is, is one group that I really, really, you know, consider one of my favorite groups ever. Um, and just kind of going through their line ear notes and seeing all these different types of music. It, it wasn't just soul. It wasn't just funk. It wasn't just black artists. They were sampling everything. So that's what kind of fueled me even more to, to you know, in high school, me and my boy, one of my best friends, his name is Cezir. Shout out to Cezir. Uh, w- one thing we used to do in high school regularly was we, we, we scoured the Bay Area looking for records. You know, we we caught the bus, we caught the BART. We literally went to every record store that we could find in the Yellow Pages or, you know, any, any way we could find out what where all the record stores were in the entire Bay Area. And we would, we would, we would, you know, catch the bus, bar, walk, uh, have our parents drop us off to, you know, to these record stores. And we was, we would spend hours in these record stores. Um, you know, obviously Amoeba Records in Berkeley on, uh, on Telegraph Avenue was one of the biggest record stores. Uh, and they still, they're still around. Um, there was a store called Leopold Records in Berkeley, Tower Records. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, Tower we, Records. Yeah, yeah. And then we, we, you know, we found out where all the small mom and pop record stores were. So we literally, that was like a hobby, which is a rare hobby, right? In yeah. high school, <laughs> to, to, to be in high school. And that's like what you do where other kids are playing basketball and softball. We were uh, scouring the Bay Area looking for obscure records so we could go back and, and, and you know, and chop them up and look for samples, you know, cause that's, that's what we love. So a good friend of mine in high school, his father, his stepfather, shout out to one drop Scott. Uh, he was a big producer uh, for local, local Bay area artists. Uh, he had produced for like three times crazy and the loonies and all these guys. So this was my best friend, one of my best friends. This is his stepdad. And they happen to live like a few blocks away from our our, our high school, uh, Berkeley High School, the high school I went to in Berkeley. And uh, you know, every day after school, we would go to uh, Damien's house, and that was the hangout spot, which happened to be a studio, which happened to be the studio where all of these amazing artists that we were listening to at the time. You know, this is where their music is being produced. This is where they're being made. And I just remember all these artists coming, you know, coming through to the studio and working in the studio with with, with one drop. And we're like high school students, you know. And so that's that's where I really, really started to take it serious because I was able to, 
like literally see firsthand um, and be able to touch uh, the music that was that I was listening to, you know, just being in that environment. Um, One Drop Scott, uh, Tone Capone, Tone Capone produced uh, I Got Five on it from the Looney. So I remember. Yeah. So the uh, One Drop and, and Tone Capone were really good friends. So, you know, just being around those guys and growing up around those guys and seeing uh, learning their process to making making music and making records was, uh, I think I had a huge benefit, you know, being in that environment. Damn, man, that's just like that's an iconic thing. I got like, come on now, you just say it casually. I got five on it. That was, I mean, I'm coming from <laughs> Illinois. That was a big song on the radio. So for you to, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's bro, a significant. bro. I actually, I, I actually years later, yeah. after that record was made, yeah. I actually. Um, there, there, somebody hit me up like, "You want to buy SP twelve hundred, and that which is a is a world famous beat machine to make you know classic records were made on this machine." Um, so I was like, "Yeah," because I had been, they were kind of hard to find at that time. Um, so I remember meeting up with the guy and he had it and I bought it. I think I paid like maybe like twelve hundred dollars for it or something like that. At that time, I was I was uh, I was working a job in. in I was working at Bevmo back in the day, so I was getting that money way back then, yeah. right? So, so he he uh, hit me up. He's like, "You want to buy this machine?" I was like, "Yeah, hell yeah!" Come to find out, this was the machine that Tone Capone made. I got five on it. On. Oh man, wow! And, and I and I ended up buying it like years later. The machine that he made it on. So, oh my god, yeah. that's that's vintage right there, dude. That's, that's, <laughs> right, that's a relic, dude. That's so man. That's just like I said, the amount of history that you have. I think that's something I caught on very early on when I met you for the first time. I was like, man, I'm coming from Illinois, right? Coming from the southwest suburbs of Chicago, so I'm just still learning all this stuff. And you know, me coming out to California for the first time in 2013 and experiencing Coachella and all that stuff like that. I'm just like soaking it all in. Like, okay, wow, this is how it works out here. Whatever, whatever. And meeting you and just seeing all the different you know connections that you had right off the rip. I was like, how is this man so tapped in and everything? Again, I'm not fully in the know about how things work out here in California and in, in the LA area or whatever, in the Bay Area from your experiences. So just talking to you, there's just a wealth of knowledge. And one thing I learned about you back in those earlier days, way back in 2013, was that your days being a independent club uh, uh, promoter, a uh, talent buyer in, in particular for clubs and stuff like that. So I'm kind of curious to know about some stories about that. How did that journey begin for you? How did you get involved in that? Because And how, like, I guess, what was that scene like for you? Because you are so deep in that world too. So, just what what are your memories of just you being a talent buyer uh, for clubs and stuff like that uh, throughout throughout your time? So it, it started off with um, me transitioning from from the Bay from the Bay Area to LA, uh, which is around two thousand. Um, I just decided, you know, a couple of my friends were going away, going to school, going to uh, Cal State Northridge. I, I one thing a lot of people don't know about me is that I actually went to school for. Uh, recording engineering. Oh, sure. I, yeah. Yeah. I actually okay. went to school. I actually went to school to learn how to, uh, you know, engineer a studio session, run the boards and everything. So that that was one of the things that got me out here. Um, moved to LA. Didn't know, didn't know a lot of people, but the couple people that I did know had some really, really good connections in LA. Um, a good friend of mine who's still... My best friend to this day, Alafi, he had this, uh, he had, a, he was from Pasadena, but he moved to, to the Bay Area in high school. Um, so he had a lot of uh, L.A. connections being originally from L.A. in Pasadena. So he had a good friend. His name is Mike Heat. Shout out to Mike Heat. 
Um, Mike he had a boutique uh, marketing company called Fireworks. And what Fireworks did was they did grassroots marketing and promotion for different brands and different events. Um, Magic Johnson had this weekend uh, back in the day called the Midsummer Midsummer Night Magic, which was a weekend. Of, it was almost like a festival way back then. Um, it was like a weekend of music. He booked artists and he booked different um, celebrities. It was like a whole weekend. And so uh, Fireworks, that was one of their clients. So they helped promote and, and market those events and, and different things that Magic Johnson had going back, back in those days. Um, they also had a lot of um, contracts with record labels to market and promote records. And one way that they, one tool that they used to promote records was throwing uh, like single release parties, record release parties at different venues, which eventually led to them uh, becoming a, a, a big nightlife promoter in Hollywood. Uh, like in the, I'd say in the, early 2000s, mid-2000s. So around 2004 is when I really kind of stepped into the nightlife world and, and started uh, club promoting. I actually started off as what they call a sub-promoter, sub which is basically you know, you know the, the big promoter. He was the one that did the contract with the venues, and he hired all the staff to run the, run the club nights. And then you had the, the sub-promoters, which was just the guys who turned in the guest list, right? They like, you know, just invite your your network of people out, you know, bring 10 people, bring 15 people. And you got paid a, a couple bucks per head for what you brought out. Right. So that that's that's why that's where I started. And I started, you know, I, I kind of fell in love with the nightlife, you know, in, in clubs. So, you know, fireworks was a really ended up being a really, really big club promoter. And from that, I started to develop, to develop my own relationships and uh, develop relationships with club owners and venues. So eventually, a few years, few few years after uh, fireworks kind of kind of went away, I started my own uh, company with a, with with a guy named uh, Geo. We started a, a group called Go Group, and we partnered up with a couple other big promoters and. You know, we, we became some of the biggest promoters in Hollywood. I mean, we literally promoted and ran like the, the top clubs in Hollywood several nights a week. You know, if it would be Monday night at, you know, the Cabana Club, Tuesday night at, you know, whatever the club was back then. But, you know, we, we pretty much ran the club scene for, for many years. Um, so. From you know, just from years of doing that and and building up my my uh, relationships and my network, uh, eventually I got to a point where, you know, I, I you know after so many years of being in clubs, you kind of want to see what's next and kind of you know. So I decided I don't want to be a club promoter per se anymore. Let me let me kind of take what I've learned and, and take some of these uh, relationships that I've garnered and, and and let me try to book the artists that these clubs, because we were at one point, we were the ones that were paying artists to come and host and, and perform at our club. So um, I met numerous managers and artists. So just developed a lot of relationships from doing that and, you know, decided let me step on to the more business side. And uh, so I became the guy, the go-to guy for multiple clubs from New York to LA to Miami, even overseas, Dubai, 
uh, parents, you know, these clubs were calling me to to book artists. You know, my my name became synonymous in the industry as the go to guy if you if you wanted to book a, you know, a YG or two chains or or a uh, Pusha T. You know, back in the day. So that's kind of how I, how I started off on the on the talent buying side, um, kind of on the independent level as a as a as a booker for clubs for nightclubs. Man, that's amazing because I remember talking to you. You were at super early on. This is like when he uh, when he just had one single that was bubbling, but was uh, Post Malone. You were really yeah. tapped in with Post Malone, and you were putting me on game. You're the one who put me on game. To what was the song after uh, White Iverson? It was uh, Go Flex. There you go. Yeah. It was, yeah. And I was I got into Post Malone from from just being around you around that time. This is around like 2013 or whatever, or whatever you're telling me about just your workings with Post and stuff like that. So it's just exciting to hear that, and like that's something that I wouldn't even be hip to. It just without even speaking to someone like yourself and just knowing that there's this whole ecosystem of, of that world of just how deep it goes with talent buying and promoting and, and club promoting and stuff like that and just how far you can really go with it uh, um, and just seeing that your trajectory is truly amazing that's why from how you started in that world to where you are now as a golden voice talent buyer you know how has that journey been for you getting to this position right now you know from from your from where you are now to your starting golden voice and your own words how would you describe that journey for yourself music discovery has always been a, a huge passion for me. So I've always kind of been tapped into artists early and uh, it's always been, you know, a passion of mine to help artists develop and get to the next level. So yeah, shout out to uh, Dre London. I think it was 20, I want to say 2015, 2014 to 2015 was when I first booked uh, Post Malone. Um, and I didn't. I didn't know at the time, but I, I later found out that I was the first promoter to book Post Malone for a show in L.A. Um, so yeah, it's always just kind of been, you know. And you could even go back to artists, artists like YG and, and Ty Dollar Sign, and uh, you know all the L.A. guys. You know, it, it's always been um, a focus of mine to really stay tapped in with with the new and, and up and coming talent. And I think you know that's kind of been my thing for, you know, all these years. So, um, you know, when, when, when I got a chance to work with Golden Voice, which is super early, I mean, um, you know, my wife is a, is a, is, she works for Golden Voice, Rhea. Shout out to my baby, Rhea Roberts Johnson. Uh, yeah, Rhea, Rhea started at Golden Voice in uh, 2008. Um, and she started as a, she started off in marketing um, and eventually moved over to the ticketing side um, so, you know, when you work with Golden Voice, especially back in those days, you kind of, you kind of did everything, you know, and, and you had to, you had to, you know, be able to adapt and be able to adapt to going out to the desert, you know, for three weeks to a month to, you know, to set up for, for the, for the festivals. Um, so, you know, she, with her being at Golden Voice and, 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 you know, Obviously, she's working for a company that you know. I'm looking like, wow, that's that's huge. <laughs> this is the, one of the biggest concert promoters in the world. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, me being passionate about music, I kind of um, attach myself. You know, I started working with Golden Voice. You know, Rio Rio would would be gone for weekends at a time working Coachella. So I would. So eventually, I was like, you know, like. I want to work too. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I, I ended up working, you know, on a, 
ticketing side of things, working at the box office, and I just found my way in, you know, just working uh, will call, working the box office at, at, at festivals and, and signing up to work shows. You know, I, I think 2013 may have been my first uh, show that I worked for Golden Voice as uh, in the ticketing department. And, uh, you know, I did that for eight years, you know, and I, through, through those eight years, I, I met incredible people at the company, you know, and I was I was always interested in what people did, because at that time, I didn't know how these concerts and festivals came together, because, again, I, I, I come from a club world where things are a little bit different. Um, but, you know, just years of being around the Golden Voice family and meeting all these talented, amazing people um, was 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 the best way for me to start, you know, because, you know, I, I always tell students when I go and talk to students at different schools, like it's 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 OK to start, you know, at start your journey at the bottom. And I don't even consider the box office or, or you know, ticketing the bottom. But, you know, it's not they don't get the shine in the in the in the light in the spotlight that say a, ta- a talent buyer gets right so uh you know i started in the box office started at will call uh, i started as a runner doing everything i had to do and, th- and everything that was needed um to to meet people and to, to develop and nurture and nurture relationships in this business so um you know at the at you know while i was still booking talent for different venues i was also working i mean jarvis you see it i would oh, be yeah. out of, <laughs> i would be out at coachella you know it'd be it'd be saturday night at coachella and i and i and i have to drive back to orange county because i have asap ferg booked at a club in in, in orange county or i might even have uh the loonies or somebody booked in oakland i might have to t- take a flight from palm springs to Oakland and then come back to uh, Coachella to to work my Sunday shift. Uh, so it, it, it's it's definitely been a grind, but you know, um, you know, I had the opportunity in twenty twenty one. You know, when uh, Golden Voice and Paul Tillett, shout out to Paul T. Big shout you know, out to PT. Were, yeah, shout out to PT. Shout out to Dom uh, at the Novo who 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 was a, a you know. I can't say enough about Dom. You know, Dom really, really, we, we had, we, we developed a relationship really early at Golden Voice when he came over to Golden Voice. And, uh, you know, we, even before I started working full time for Golden Voice, me and Dom, you know, we worked on projects and we always stayed tapped in. Uh, you know, Dom comes from the same world as me. He comes from the club world, the nightlife world. So we had a lot in common. Uh, look at him as like a little brother, but he's also the big homie because he's, he's taught me so much since I've been in this role. So, um, you know, so Paul T, you know, uh, was looking for a, a talent buyer, um, and they reached out to me. Um, a lot of people don't know that when Golden Voice reached out to me as for a talent buyer position, Live Nation also did. <laughs> I don't even know if I should be talking about this, but fuck it. Uh, <laughs> you know, Live, Live Nation also wanted me to come on board over there, but you know, with, with Golden Voice, with me having a history at Golden Voice, obviously with, with with Rhea being there for so long and me having, you know, Golden Voice is like family. Golden Voice has been there for us through thick and thin. Uh, you know, 2016, we, we lost a child, uh, which is probably the toughest thing that anybody can go through in life. But, um, you know, I just remember Golden, Golden Voice 
employees being there for us. Everybody was there for us, you know, during that time. And, you know, you, you can never replace that and you can never forget about that, you know, uh, from people signing up and bringing us, uh, they had a food train going where they would bring us food. People would take, take turns bringing us food out to Pasadena, you know, the first couple of weeks of that. So, you know, what you you have to look at all those things when you're making these type of decisions. Uh, but for me, uh, one of the biggest things, and you know, I just have to be transparent when I talk about this, is that you know when I when I found out that Golden Voice and AEG had never had a black talent buyer, you know, I was shocked. You know, I was surprised. I was shocked. Um, I felt I felt a certain type of way, but I also felt like I had the opportunity to, to come and have an impact, you know, and be able to uh, say that, be able to tell my son, who's three right now, be able to tell him your dad was the first black promoter at this huge company. To me, that was, there's, there's no money, there's no value that, that, can, that can replace or top that, you know? Um, and just to have the opportunity to, to, to come in and be able to bring in more, hopefully, you know? Uh, people of color. I think that's important. I think this music that we that we look that we love, we listen to, and um, I think us having more representation is 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 a top priority for me. You know, and it's it's one of the things that I'm very passionate about. Um, it's one of the things that I focus on, and and you know, I, I put into action immediately as I came on board. So. You know, being 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 able to do this at this level for me is it means everything in the world. You know, it might it might sound cliche because you hear people say it a lot. Like, there's nothing else in the world that I that I could do or should do besides this. You know, I knew I, I knew obviously from early on that you know music is going to be my life. You know that that's that was always my passion, and I knew that one day. I knew pretty early on that I was I wasn't gonna be successful at rapping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> After, right? you get that call. I feel you. I know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I and I thought I might have a shot at producing. And you know, I still I still do my you know producer things on the side. I still own equipment. I still I still make beats. I still have an MPC. Um, but I knew that music was going to be my career. And you know, God has has blessed me with the opportunity to to work at this level and doing what I love. So I just feel really fortunate and, and I hope I can be a source of inspiration for others to, to, you know, look at me and know that I can be a talent buyer. And like you were saying earlier, a lot of people don't know what a talent buyer is, you know? So I, I love going to different college campuses, high school campuses and, and, and giving, you know, knowledge and game on what this, what it is we do behind the scenes, because I always tell kids that you don't have to be on stage, you know, to make a living in it. You don't have to be a rapper. You don't have to be a singer, even though if that's your, that if that's your passion, that's, that's, that's fine. That's beautiful. Go after it. But, you know, it's important to know that there are other opportunities in this business. You know, you can be a festival coordinator. You can be a, you know, you can do what you do, Jarvis. A lot of people don't know, like how, how does, how does Golden Voice uh, hire? How do they find these people to work? And they don't know that there's positions like yours um, available. They don't know that you can be a talent buyer or uh, a, a VP of ticketing 
and 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 make a very decent living and be happy and doing what you love to do. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I love that's why I was like, man, it's just just so many lanes and just sticking to just your journey here, like just listening to it from the very beginning to where you are right now. It to me, it's just the word I'm looking for is inevitable. That's what it that's what I feel like when I when I hear about your your progression over the years and just all the different, you know, stages you went through through music. You've always kept music as your centerpiece, even though you had went through different eras of whether you whether you're just, you know, performing music, you know, with Michael Jackson thing, you're 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 writing your own music with rapping, you're producing at one point, you're getting involved in in the talent buying world for clubs now you're talent by here and golden voice has always been music has been consistent throughout your life and you haven't broke from that from that um journey of yours on that pathway of yours and i think that's the key thing like you honed in on that one and you double down and no matter what role it was in you've always focused in on one and i think that's so dope and thinking to sticking to another thing you just said where people don't know what a talent buyer does or is so so this is the part where i like to to kind of find out and i love asking this question for everyone within our company is like, what is your day-to-day like like leading up to like a show or just prepping up for like uh for like maybe an on sale for for something like that what is what's going through your mind as a talent buyer uh when you're working with getting a show off the ground at the at the next you know venue that you're gonna be working at whether it be at the novo or somewhere else like what, what's going through for you as far as making a show get off the ground so i think for a good talent buyer it's it's definitely somebody who's obviously passionate about music but it's also somebody who you know, knows where to go because I always hear, you know, people say things like hip hop is dead or rap is dead. And um, I think a good talent buyer, whether you're booking rock or, or jazz or, you know, any genre is, is just knowing where to find talent and knowing where to find um, the next big thing. Right. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's, you know, for me, when I when one of the first things I do when I wake up is I as I as I look at all the streaming sites and I see like, uh, you know, who's streaming, you know, who's who's dropping an album, and you know, I, I make notes on certain artists that I want to go after, um, you know, and if it's somebody that I think you know obviously can sell tickets because that's what we do, right? We sell tickets. Um, you know, I I find out if I don't already know, I find I find out who that artist agent is. Hopefully, I have a relationship with 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 the agents. I mean, we we work closely with with all the agencies from uh, WME, WME to CAA to uh, Wasserman to UTA, right? Um, so, if if there's an artist that I'm interested in booking and I feel like they can uh, play a, a venue like the Novo or, or even like at a Roxy level, uh, which is our 500 cap room. Um, and Novo being our 2300 cap room, you know, if it's an artist I feel like can play our, 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 our room at the Novo, what I do is I put together an offer. Um, and I usually, you know, we, we, we have a booking assistant, shout out to Montre. She's, she's amazing. Uh, she came on board, uh, from, from our Dallas office. Um, so, you know, we, 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 we strategize, we meet and we, 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 we send out offers all day, brother. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, we put together our offers and, and, you know, our offers include, you know, our marketing expenses, our venue expenses, uh, the talent fee. And, uh, you know, we, we, we send them out to, to different agents and hopefully, uh, you know, the agents come back and say, yeah, we want to play your venue. And, you know, so we can confirm our show with, you know, our ticketing team. We make sure everybody's on board for the announcement. Uh, so we have our ticketing team. They create the, the, the ticketing links and, um, you know, set up the on sale and everything. 
Um, so it's really it's a, it's really a, a team effort. But you know, my my day to day really con- consists of uh, coming into the office and 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 looking at uh, my notes to see what artists we have confirmed, what artists we are, we want to go after, and uh, just getting those offers ready, sending them out, and and following up. You know, making sure we follow up where, whether whether that's a phone call or an email. Or, you know, uh, taking an agent out to lunch, you know, it's really just maintaining those relationships. You know, I always tell people like the probably the biggest part of being a talent buyer is, is, is having those relationships and nurturing those relationships and maintaining those relationships and, you know, making sure you have uh, uh, organic relationships with, 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 with the people that we work with from the managers to the uh, artists themselves to the agents. Um, so yeah, so my, my day to day is really just, you know, just reaching out to people and following up. And if, if, if it's a show night, making sure everything is set up on the venue side, we work really close with our venues. Uh, shout out to Kyle Robinson, who's a GM over at the Novo. Yes, sir. Yeah. And his team, they do a really good job of making sure, uh, Ramsey, he's, uh, he's the head of production over there. So he makes sure that, uh, you know, the artist writers are taken care of. Uh, if there's a backline, uh, which is a back, a backline, which is the you know the equipment from the you know from the drums to the guitar to the keyboards, making sure we have everything ready for the artists to come in and, and to have a really really great experience at our venue uh, because that's the name of the game, right? We want we want these artists to to feel like our venues are are their home, and uh, hopefully they come back. And if they don't come back to that venue, uh, meaning the Novo, they go to the shrine and then they just keep moving up to our bigger venues to uh, hopefully to, to touring with us as a company. So that's, that's the name of the game. Absolutely. Dude. I, I love hearing this so much because again, to me, you just like opening up so I feel like you're, you're opening up so many different people's minds to like what goes into getting a show off the ground because we know these concerts are happening. We see them all the time, but just all the, the details that go into them, that's the exciting part about it. And I guess one last thing I can ask about this, about your day to day is, has there been any type of, um, I guess, are there, are there anything about the role that you're in where it's like, hmm, I didn't expect it to be like this and uh, or something like that, where it's like, okay, this is something that I didn't expect for this role, or, or, or maybe this is something like, okay, this is more of a challenging part of the role, and this is something that you just constantly got to continue to work through. Like, or is there any moments like that where you just have a moment where you're just kind of like, this is a little bit more than what I thought it was going to be, or this isn't what I thought it was going to be? Has that occurred to you, or is it everything kind of like as you anticipated from your days being a, uh, you know, a club promoter to where you are now. Uh, can can I can I be honest? Yeah, yeah. Be a, is this the honest hour? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what one one thing that I was a little bit surprised about, and maybe I shouldn't have been. Maybe I was naive going into it, but may, you know, there's there's not there's not a lot of people that look like us. Just to be let's just be honest. You know, whether it's on the on the agency side or on the promoter side, there's you can probably count on two hands the amount of people that look like us. So I'll be honest when I say this coming, coming into this role where I'm one of none <laughs> and being the only, you know, black promoter at, at AG. And even if you look at live nation, they, they don't have a lot over there. They have more than us, but they don't have a, a lot of black talent buyers over there either. Uh, but I honestly expected and hope that I would get more support from our, fellow black agents. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like 
we have to we have to empower each other. We have to uplift each other. You know, if we want to, if we want to keep these roles right, if we want to keep. So I, I honestly kind of felt like I I didn't get the support from the. I got support from non-black agents more than black agents because for me, I would have looked at it like, yo. We got to take advantage of the situation. We have a black buyer over here. We could actually help uplift him and bring and, and make him a, a superstar, you know. Uh, so I, I I was a little disappointed that more black agents didn't reach out to me or, or, and didn't, you know, support me, so to speak. You know, there, there's there's a lot that did, but there's there's some that that, that I was surprised that even, you know, in, in the beginning told me that they would support have it and you know same time you know nobody owes me anything i'm 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 here i'm making a name for myself um i'd like to say that you know i'm i've been successful in this role and uh just gonna see bigger and better things for me in this role um and you know i'm, I'm blessed to be here but yeah to, to answer your question that that probably would be one of the things that uh that I, I, I didn't expect. <laughs> I appreciate that honesty there. And again, that's just something that, again, I think that stepping into this role for me on the outside looking in and just knowing you, it's great to just to hear, you know, just your insight about this. Because for me, for the longest, like information like this, you just you never would hear stories like this. So for someone like yourself to be in it and to share these experiences, I think that right there is already inspiring the next generation of people to come after you and what you what, what you have done. And I think that that's what makes you, what you're with the, the, the ground that you're, you know, taking over and that, that you're kind of uncovering here is so, you know, significant. And I think that everything that you're experiencing, both the positive and some of the challenging things, I think that, again, you're just teaching a whole new generation already. So I think that's the critical and most important thing. So again, sure. I'm stoked about how far <laughs> you've come. Absolutely, man. Man, I appreciate it. And, and, and coming up to like the, the final questions here, I, I got to ask you, because you've been around so long, you've seen so many things for, from the Golden Boy side. What is that favorite concert or festival and why for you? Obviously, Coachella is our biggest festival. Um, but I would say specifically my favorite or most most memorable Coachella moment or even just moments in concert history was, um, I believe it was 2012. Dr. Dre, Snoop, and Tupac. <laughs> just, you know, just being there because even though, you know, even though we were, we worked for, for Golden Voice at the time, I, obviously at the time I wasn't a full time, but I still was, you know, in the ecosystem. And, uh, we, you know, we, we had no idea that was going to happen, you know, so to be, to be in that crowd and to, you know, to witness that in live, to see, you know, Again, I'm from the Bay Area. Tupac is one of one of my favorites. Obviously, you know, I remember I remember seeing Tupac at the festival at the lake in Oakland. You know, being a loudmouth, <laughs> Tupac was off the chain. I would tell you that he was always walking around with his shirt off and loud and kind of obnoxious. But you know, <laughs> he was Tupac. But you know, so to see you know to see that and and be in that crowd and just I just remember. Looking up and hearing, what Coachella? What's up? But yeah, that was that was definitely 
the most memorable moment for me. Yes, sir. I was going to say, I, th- I thought you were going to say Camp Flogna too, because you're the one who put me on game on Camp Flogna for so many years. Uh, uh, but no, Coachella, of course, significant moments, significant festival, uh, obviously. Yeah, fl- Flognog too, for sure. I remember, I remember working the first Flognog at the uh, will call table at, back then it was called Club Nokia. Now it's called the Novo, full circle moment again, because uh, now I'm booking the Novo. But I remember 2013 sitting at the will call table and just looking at this line of kids lined up early for the show. You know, the show, you know, probably started at three or four o'clock because it was a, it was a daytime event and it started off at the parking lot. There was a there's a small parking lot across the street from LA Live. And that's where the the, the carnival part of the uh, festival was. And I just remember seeing all these kids of different nationality nationalities that look very young. And I was like, yo, what? Because I had never heard of Odd Future, right? But, you know, once the performances started, started and I started to see these different black kids come out, and I'm looking into the crowd, I see all these you know, mostly white kids from look like they were from Inland Empire or from different parts of Southern California. I was just blown away that these these young kids could bring out so many kids from all these different backgrounds. So I just remember, you know, working at Festival 2013 and just seeing it grow and going moving over to Exposition Park. You know, so it, it goes from like what three thousand people to you know seven eight thousand people and just watching it grow and grow and grow so yeah um flognaw would definitely be one of my favorite festivals for sure but festival moments would probably yes definitely be the uh tupac at coachella yes sir man yes sir i feel you on that one 100 and now coming to our very last question here you know with so much on your plate with you being able to see so much and with your job being just always keeping your eye on what's next. What are you most excited to see take place in live entertainment? And I know that's a big thing, but just in live entertainment as a whole in 2023, in terms of maybe artists who are releasing new music and what that could mean for like them going on tour and working with us to maybe some upcoming projects. I know you can't say everything that you're working on, but maybe some upcoming shows that you got in development for next year. I'm just kind of curious to know from, from your perspective, what are you most excited to see take place in 2023 when you think about live entertainment? Um, I mean, I'm I'm definitely looking uh, forward to seeing, you know, what the next Coachella lineup looks like. Obviously, um, the last couple of Coachellas were makeups from the, the years of being canceled. Um, so this this next Coachella is going to be kind of a fresh lineup. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to, to Coachella 2023. Uh, as far as artists, um, one of the artists that I'm definitely checking for, who I think is going to be really, really special. Well, already is special, but I'm, you know, just so interested in seeing how his his career trajectory turns out. Uh, Toby Nguyenway, I hope I pronounce this. Yeah, he's 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 one that I'm really, really into, uh, and I'm really hopefully we can work more. I know he played our. Uh, uh, Dan Vegas, he's on the lineup for Dan Vegas, but um, I, I, I'm interested to see what he does next year. He, he's one that I'm definitely interested in, in seeing, you know, grow. Uh, Brent Fayez, obviously, he's ha- he's he's having he's having a great 
uh, year. His album just dropped. Um, interested to see how his touring looks. Um, you know, he's 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 one of the artists that the world seems. I haven't seen an artist that the world seems excited about. So to to see where he is now, I'm interested to see what where he where he what he does next year and years to follow. So I think definitely those two artists and um, yeah, those two artists are artists that I'm looking forward to. I most definitely, man. I, I'm definitely going to have to check out that one. Uh, you definitely have to give me a link on that one for sure. That you know, Brent Fias with everything that he's been doing, his his momentum reminds me of like the weekend leading up right. to like his very yep. first Coachella performance in 2012. That's what Brent Fias like the momentum that he has. That's what it reminds me of right now. You know, uh, so it's really exciting to see what goes down for that one. And I definitely hope you get a chance to work with and book or, or some capacity any of these types of artists at one of our venues for sure. And, and Marcus, just overall, again, I'm so glad we finally got a chance to do this because this is an interview has been like a year in the making for our I listeners. <laughs> We've been going back and forth. We finally I got know. it. We finally I, got it. We finally got, got it. it. And, and, I, and I love it so much because again, this is a journey that I knew I, there was so much to you and, and I know we can go for for another hour talking about your, your come up. Let's set up a part two. Let's set up a part two. <laughs> so this one, so this one we did um, on our, on my, on my one year anniversary of, of joining Golden Voice as a talent buyer. So, Hopefully, maybe on my you know second year anniversary, we could do another one. I would love it. Yes, because man, everything that you've done is so it just it's key. Again, it's just a person like yourself who had a vision of where they want to go in the world of music, and you're open to experiencing music through so many different stages of your life, and you stay consistent with your vision for yourself. And I think that's the key thing about it. And uh, you know, for our listeners here who checked out this episode, I hope everyone takes that away from from your journey. And man, I appreciate you just giving a little bit of your time for for the Golden Voice podcast and everything that you've done so far in your career. This is only the beginning and I can't wait to see what you do next. Absolutely, Marcus. So thank you so much for the time. Thank you, man. And I just want to say, uh, I just want to give you your flowers, Jarvis, because, you know, to, to watch you come from Chicago and, and you know, relocate to California and, uh, you know, w- work your way up to where you are now in this company has it's been an inspiration for me. You know, also. So I just want to give you your your flowers and let you know how proud I am. And man, you know, let's just keep keep it going. Man, there you have it. Such a dope interview with Marcus, man. Like I said, I've been knowing Marcus for quite some time. It basically will be, what, 10 years come 2023 that I've had a chance to work, meet, and chop it up with this man. But just really love his passion for music. And that's something I took away from his story, how he found his way to become a talent buyer through his love and passion of music and how he just stayed consistent with with it throughout. I really enjoyed hearing the story about how him and his friend would just go to the record store and just look up records all day and that's kind of what they were that's what they were doing that was their activity right so it's just super dope to hear that and how he just followed that through so man big shout out to marcus and everything that he's doing and again i really do appreciate him sharing his story sharing his journey and just everything through his experiences that he's gone through to get to where he's at and just man just i feel like you know this is one of those things where uh, i hope that people who listen to this who have aspirations of working in the music industry in the entertainment industry but they don't know how to get there but they want to do this unique role or maybe they haven't even heard of a role like this or, or any type of role in the music industry because there's so many different roles in the music industry just or they're just in the entertainment industry as a whole but when they hear stories like marcus's it really gets them inspired to start thinking a little bit differently how they can kind of go about what they love to do and how all these maybe things that they do as kids right whether it be buying records you know performing amongst your family members or you know starting your own groups or stuff like that you know making music it all you know accumulates to these bigger jobs these bigger roles so 
keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely. And again, Marcus, we appreciate you so much for coming to the Golden Voice podcast with your busy schedule and just sharing your story, sharing your experiences and providing that insight. And if you want to tap in with Marcus on social media, you can definitely do that because he's on there. Tap in with Marcus on Instagram. He's simply DonDada001. Once again, that's DonDada001. On Twitter, it's also the same thing, DonDada001 on Twitter. Once again, that's DonDada001 on Twitter. And then, of course, he is on LinkedIn as well. All you got to do is just type in his name uh, on LinkedIn. You'll be able to find him there as well. Also, I got to point out, too, the intro and outro music that you're hearing me speak over right now that's also produced by marcus so man big shout out to marcus he's like a whole triple threat over here he's booking shows producing music connecting people it's super amazing man so again big shout out to that man marcus now, like I said, I was going to catch up with you in the outro, and here we are. And once again, we are not done with the Golden Voice podcast because we actually have a bonus episode. This is a double header week right here. If you're listening to this in the future, this is a double header week. So basically, that means we have a bonus episode, and the bonus episode is going to be with the one and only, you know, music executive and media personality, Wayno. Wayno has come to the Golden Voice podcast to share his story and his experiences in the game, and it's super awesome. So please go check out that bonus episode. All right. Now, now, also, if you want to tap in with Golden Voice, because we got so much going on for this month of December, we got so much going on for next year, for all everything like that. So if you want to know what's happening with us, you got to tap in with us on our website, goldenvoice.com to find out about all of our shows for this month and for 2023. But then also on social media as well. We're on social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, simply at Golden Voice. Go ahead and tap in with us there to find out about all of our latest updates about what's happening with our shows and to get some cool photos and videos and just recap of what we've done at our shows currently as well. All right. And if you're joining the podcast, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, wherever that's at, and be sure to follow it, subscribe to it, however it works on your favorite podcast platform, because your interest, your follows, your, your comment, your engagement, your ratings really helps the visibility of the podcast, helps us connect with more music lovers and fans just like yourself. So if you don't mind, spread the good word, leave a nice message and continue to support the Golden Voice podcast by those simple things. And it means a lot if you're currently doing it already. And it goes without saying, a major shout out to our Golden Voice podcast team. That's our executive producer, Rhea. That's our marketing coming from Carrie, Christina, and Lindsay. That's artwork and creative coming from Saish. Once again, as always, Saish holding it down on the artwork and creative. And Press, Shay, and Taji doing big things as well. And speaking of Press, if you have any press inquiries for this podcast or for Golden Voice in general, go ahead and hit us up at press at goldenvoice.com. Once again, that's press at goldenvoice.com. Com. But until then, we're going to keep the ball moving right here for the Golden Voice Podcast. I'll see you on that bonus episode. And if you don't know by now, my name is Jarvis Smith. This is the Golden Voice Podcast. Once again, I'll catch you on that bonus episode. I'm out. <laughs>